Welcome back to Midwretched, friends. Welcome back. We missed you so much. We really did. We have got. We have had so much drama and craziness, and we will tell you a little bit about that. Um, we'll tell you a little bit this week and a little bit next week because we have to just spread it out. <laughs> yeah, because it's just there's just so much. So uh, before we get into that, though, we do have giveaway winners. Woo! First and foremost, in case you want to shut us off after you win your mug. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to skip this part, whatever. That's your business. But uh, we had wonderful entries, and we really appreciated everyone that engaged with us. Yay! And so I literally wrote down all of your names and put them into a baseball cap and picked two winners out of it. So you ready to hear who won? Drumroll. That's beautiful. But that's it. Really. So our two wonderful winners. Thank you so much for entering, and we hope you enjoy your stuff. I will be sending you a message. One of us will send you a message soon for your address. Kirby P. And Alyssa H. Yay! Thank you guys. Thank you so much. We totally love you, and we cannot wait to send you your stuff. Yay! Oh, we're so excited. I love you guys. Thank you, everyone, for entering and being awesome and for sharing the mid-wretched love. Yeah, we're so grateful, and it's so fun to be able to, you know, give back to our peeps a little bit. So this is awesome. So yay! Yay! So um, this episode is... um, You're about to... Yeah. Dark and bleak. So uh, why don't you tell us about some other stuff that's also dark and bleak? <laughs> <laughs> so the reason why we did not release last week, and we are so sorry, was I turned on my computer to start editing or to like finish editing because I already had a little bit done. And it started making these terrible... Good. Not, not good. good. Not a good sound, right? Mm-mm. And my lovely partner comes in and he's like, shut off your computer right now. <laughs> and so I did. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really need to be told that, but <laughs> <laughs> but he knew. He came but, the, but the urgency helped me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. So we figured we figured that it was kind of the fan going out, which means that the computer would have melted if I kept it on. Mm. Um, so, and I want to give a shout out to, so I first tried to take my computer to the geek squad. Cause I don't know. That's just like the thing you do. Right. Mm-hmm, totally. And they're like, mm, well, you're going to have to give us $85 and then we're going to have to ship it to Kentucky and then they'll get back to you about whether or not they can fix it. And then it's probably going to be another 50 to a hundred bucks to fix it. Jeez. And they're like, if. We have the part and your laptop's old, so we probably don't have the part. And I was like, oh. But then he leans into me and he was like, or you could take it to a local shop. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I, <love that. laughs> I hope he didn't get too close, but I love that. <laughs> no, there was a plastic shield. He couldn't get too okay, close. that's good. <laughs> so I took it to the wonderful people at Oak Park's I Break You Fix. Uh, or you break iFix. I think it's. I think it's probably that. Yeah, (laughs) because like, why would they? Or like, here's this broken computer. Customer, just do something with it. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, so the wonderful people at Oak Park's You Break, I Fix. I dropped it off at like four o'clock by like 6.30. They called me back. They're like, fan wasn't even broken. There was just a piece of plastic stuck in it. 20 bucks. Aw, that's fantastic. And I'm like, oh, thank you, local shop. That's such thank good you. news. Yes, shop local, especially when it's Midwest. Shop local, repair local, love everyone. And we are here today and I did not have to spend another four or five hundred bucks on a that new is laptop so wonderful. because of local shops. Well, I had to spend a surprise 400 bucks this week. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, this sucks. I hate this story. It sucks so hard. It sucks so hard. So um, my vehicle had a brick thrown through the back of it. Mm. And so I, I was last weekend and I like wake up like groggily and my husband has sent me a text that said I have bad news and not the not fun bad like your bracket is busted and he made a specific game that I lost but whatever oh okay um yeah and I'm like what what happened and he texts back we've been vandalized I'm like what so I run out and my car has had a brick thrown through it and I thought that I had just given out report cards like the day before. Mm-hmm. So I thought, like, a lot of the kids know where I live because it's all so local, it's you a know? tiny, tiny area. Yeah. So I was like, crap. Did somebody, like, you know, come to retaliate or whatever? And then uh, a few days later, the same thing happened to my husband's car. So we were down to zero cars. We borrowed one from his dad. So... Uh, borrow from your local father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really helpful. And we really appreciated that. But it was just such a bummer. Um, and just like emotional because I love my cars. Like I'm very emotional about cars. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and I kind of bond over this a lot. Um, they just are meaningful to us. Yeah. So I was just like like sobbing I was like in a pile on Saturday morning just like weeping openly you know um, <laughs> so luckily I was able to get it fixed this last weekend so um I was only without my car for a week and we were only without any cars for like a couple hours so okay that's nice that's good yeah um but just like very stressful and um my insurance did not cover the repair on mine, although my husband's insurance covered his repair. So I had to pay $415 to have mine fixed. So that's <sighs> it's over now. Yeah. And we bought um, some surveillance equipment. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. This drives me so... It, it makes me so mad that it was like... Two in a row. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, people? Yeah, and it was so senseless. So it turned out that it wasn't just us, um, so that it wasn't, it was not, like, retaliatory. It was just, like, somebody on a crime streak. Okay. So um, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the report cards, which I was very relieved by. I was going to say, that's relieving in itself, but. Yeah, yeah. But then that just like, at least when that was something I thought was happening, it felt like there was a reason, which of course makes me think of our show because we're always like, ugh, why? 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 <laughs> and with this, it was like the report cards were a why that I thought like, okay, if that's what it was, that's what it was. Um, but 
that wasn't it. There's just no why. So just like senseless, stupid stupidity. And I so that is hate it. Yeah, just the compounded stress of our week. So um I guess we should probably stop venting about our stress and start talking about this terrible murder case, huh? Speaking of senseless crime sprees. There you go, Seth. Here's some intro music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to Midwretched, friends. Woo. Welcome. We're feigning having energy because we're exhausted. <laughs> yes. Daylight savings time is the worst thing that has happened to me in a long time. And I feel like it was not invented by somebody that has a three-year-old. No, it was not. It was invented by terrible, terrible people. Yeah. And why it's terrible legacy indoors is beyond me. And if there is an answer for that, I don't want it because I want to just keep hating it. I was really enjoying my uh, morning sunlight. Yes. And not feeling like a garbage can. Yeah, basically. That's kind of a big thing for me is just not feeling like a garbage can. So Yeah. So we have energy in our spirits, but not in our bodies today, I think, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think so. Like, my my soul is good, but my body is not good. Your soul is always pretty great. Thank you. Your soul is also wonderful. Hmm. <laughs> Questionable, but all right. I like I like <laughs> it. I like it. So, uh, what else is going on? I just finished another master's degree. Yay! Congratulations! Thank you. Not master, to, master. Yes, not to toot my own horn, but I'm pretty proud of myself. So You should be. You're pretty amazing. Yeah, thank you. I'm just, that happened, and it was like, oh. That happened, and now that can slide off my plate so I can stop being a full-time student and teacher and podcaster and mother and just be, you know, three of those things instead. So, yeah, I'm very teacher, human, mother, wife. Yeah, bestie. Bestie. And puppy mother. And puppy mother. And cat mother. And cat mother. Yeah, I have enough going on. I have All around earth mother. Yes. Yes, that is a big responsibility. <laughs> And you own a house, so we're just making big moves over here. It is so exciting. Yeah. (sighs) I get to, like, reflex all of my, like, this old house knowledge that I haven't tapped into in such a long time, and I miss it. Oh, yeah. My dad gave me seed catalogs, so I think he's excited. That's his way of congratulating me. It's his love language. Yeah, it is his love language. (laughs) I love that. He's starting vegetables for me. So yeah, that is basically his love language. That is so nice. That is so nice. (laughs) So I have kind of an ope to make. Yeah? And it's a silly ope, but I feel really bad about it. I mean, my last ope was ridiculous, so. Well, okay. So my ope is mostly just guilt because if listeners have noticed a slight decrease in the quality of our audio the last couple of episodes... It's my fault because of my space heater. And I'm just I'm just very sorry about that. <laughs> so, so I'm sorry. Um, I am going to not have my space heater on during recording. I'm instead going to wear my hot blanket, which is what I have instead. 
and hopefully things get back to better. So, oh, sorry about my space heater. Yeah, it's okay. It 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 forced me to learn a lot about Reaper. Yeah. Um, and I think I did a good job on our last episode, but our our listeners can tell me whether or not I did. <laughs> no, you always do a good job. I just I'm like a baby lizard, and I really need all of my warmth. <laughs> <laughs> So I need to just stop being so self-indulgent and use my hot blanket instead. So that's my ope. These are the sacrifices we make for you, our family, our podcast family. That's right. My space heater is in the other room and it looks really sad. That's what we do for you people. That's right. That's right. So that's my ope. I'm sorry about my space heater. Um, Do you have any opes? Not that I know of. Not that anybody has yelled at me online for. So. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. I was going to use your house as a segue because we're going back to Chicago. Woo! I don't think... Where are we? We're in Joliet, right? No, we're on the far south side, so we're nowhere near you. Yeah. Okay, why did I think he was in Joliet? Nope, not quite Joliet, but, you know, Chicago land is where we're going today. Yay, the best land. It is definitely a good land, I would say. Um, <laughs> stop <this break. laughs> It's <this is> creepy. <laughs> I think if it was the very best land, it would not have uh, produced one of the worst monsters that I have ever personally researched. I think it produced like four of like the worst. Yeah, this this got in my head for sure. This case is definitely um, it's an oucher. All right. It's an oucher. Let's go for the ouchies. Let's do it. So, you know the case. Uh, spoiler alert, it's Richard Speck. <laughs> uh, this case does not involve uh, a lot of mystery. This one was kind of solved fast, and the crime itself is where, you know, so much of the story is. And then I think some of the after, the fallout. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we're going to start today is just kind of the day that things happened okay all right just dive right in we're diving right in we're on july 13th 1966 so we're going in our way back machine to the 60s we are at 2319 east 100th street in chicago illinois which is like i said on the far south side of the city like almost indiana so like kind of one of the first neighborhoods you hit when you cross that uh state line So this neighborhood, this little chunk of 100th Street was kind of a line of townhouses that were basically dorms for all of these student nurses. So it was kind of this like string of um, cute little townhouses and stuff. And so this is the time and place of the mass murder of eight women. One of the most infamous mass murders in American history, and I think the mass murder with the highest fatality of women victims or at least one of them in american history i think it it held that for a long time but i Mm -hmm. feel like it got knocked off yeah but it's up there it's definitely yeah yeah and it uh is a harrowing story so i'm gonna get right into that night of july 13th so on the night of july 13th a man knocked at the door of this townhouse where eight student nurses lived So the townhouse was pretty small. It had just a few bedrooms and one bathroom, but eight women lived there. 
And so other accounts will say that he snuck into a back door of the townhouse, but I'm privileging this particular account, and we'll talk about why later. This account says that he knocked on the door at about 11 p.m. holding a small handgun. In the townhouse were eight women at the time. Patricia Matusik, Nina Schmall, Pamela Wilkening, Suzanne Ferris, Corazon Amaral, Marianne Jordan, Merlita Garguillo, and Valentina Passion. Wow. Yes. Corazon Amaral, who goes by or went by Cora, uh, answered the door. So I'm going to just call her Cora for the sake of the story. So she was on the answer the door. And the man asked her, where are your companions? Which I thought was kind of an odd. That's a weird question. Phrasing. Yeah. Yeah. Where are your companions? And he didn't give her a chance to answer before he grabbed her by the arm and forced her way his way inside. Oh, damn. Yeah, dragging her upstairs with him. So then Merlita, one of the other roommates, kind of heard the commotion. So it's like 11 p.m. Some of the women are asleep. Some are awake. Um, they're all nursing students. They've got kind of this, like, intense academic life, you know. Mm-hmm. So Merlita was asleep, but the commotion woke her up. Uh, so she kind of wandered out and came out to find the man dragging Cora around the apartment, the townhouse. He walked both of the women into the back bedroom where three of the other roommates were sleeping. He was kind of investigating the space, like getting a sense of, you know, where everything was and everything. And while he was Mm -hmm. kind of like poking around, Merlita, Cora, and Valentina uh, managed to find a closet to hide in for a few minutes. Nice. There's a lot of just like, boy, some heartbreaking, like industrious efforts mm-hmm. to survive in this story you know so yeah. oh yeah so they were kind of hiding in a closet and then during that time this guy grabbed nina pat and pamela uh and then he was kind of talking to them and convinced them that he wasn't there to hurt them so could they please get the other women to come out of from hiding no uh, no, no, no no i know uh because he's just there to take their money i just want your money so still no still no I know, right But this is obviously a terrifying situation. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. the other women are like, hey, you know, guys, come out, come out. He just like, just give him his money and like, let him go. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So they, you know, they needed to believe him, you know, Mm -hmm. he kind of then ordered them to sit around him in a semicircle on the floor as he stood in front of them with his back to a window and kind of slowly and calmly asked for their money. And said that he was trying to go on a trip to New Orleans and needed as much money as he could get. Mm -hmm. So while they were in the semicircle, he basically kind of like systematically allowed each woman to get up and go get their purse and come back uh, to give him the money inside. Mm -hmm. So this is a terrifying ordeal. Okay. And it goes on for a long time. Yeah. I I do know this story, but every time I hear it, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, seriously. It's just the way that this entire night goes is so, I don't know, you can picture time just feeling like it just went by like so slowly, like just trickling by for these people, you know? Mm -hmm. So while the women were kind of each getting up and going to go get their purses for him, Gloria Davy, who was another one of the roommates, uh, came home from a night out with her boyfriend. And different accounts say different things. Some say that she was like a little bit tipsy when she came home. Others will say she was like pretty wasted. 
But either way, she definitely came home like under mm-hmm. the influence, which I don't say that to like besmirch her. It, it comes back into play later. But okay. she came in and she saw the scene um, and saw this guy basically like ordering around, you know, her roommates and he ordered her to join the circle. That'd be terrifying walking into that knowing nothing and already being just a little like, you know, not on your toes about things. Yeah, right. And just the, I guess I keep thinking about like when I think about this case and like the amount of people involved, it's like, not only do you have to have physical control in the situation, but you have to have a level of emotional control. And that mm-hmm. what is the most is the most eerie about it to me is like that this guy had this situation like like locked down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He had to be calm. Like if if I remember correctly from the story, he was relatively kind of just calm and not methodical, but just a little blase about how he was going about everything. Yes, he totally was kind of lackadaisical. Um, mm-hmm. in a way so yeah like at this point though he's got seven women like in this room that he's trying to kind of take control over essentially so this is where the story takes kind of its violent turn he grabbed a bed sheet tore it into strips and used those strips to bind their ankles and wrists so now it i don't know to me i guess that kind of signifies a turning point like now it's mm-hmm violent now it's uh captivity you know in a way that it was you know it was getting there but it hadn't quite taken that that dark of a turn yet you know you can no longer convince yourself this is just a robbery Mm -hmm. if i give him my purse we'll finish this and he'll just go away yeah but this takes time it does yeah this whole thing takes time and this i don't know what it was about gloria coming home i think it probably was just the moment where it was like okay, this is a lot of a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of amps up his methodology a little bit. So like I said before, this is 1966. Some of the exact details of these attacks are a little bit lost to time. And, you know, we also need to like air out every single grisly forensic thing that happened to these women. But mm-hmm. he took Pamela first and he took her to that back bedroom. And what happened in that back bedroom was very very grisly um during this uh, the attack on pamela marianne and suzanne who were not home at the time but were two of the other roommates uh came back from a study session so they they came home and they're just kind of like you know kind of putzing around their townhouse and didn't realize anything was going on until they entered that back bedroom to find this attacker hovering over pamela oh wow Yeah. So they see that situation. They run out of the bedroom and into the other bedroom where all of their friends are bound by their hands and ankles. He left Pamela, caught up with Marianne and Suzanne, uh, and stabbed them to death where they stood. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And then went back to Pamela and stabbed her once in the chest, ending her life. Mm -hmm. He then went to the bathroom, washed up, and changed his shirt. That's so weird. Yeah. So he brought like a bunch of white t-shirts and changed them kind of periodically through this entire ordeal. That is one detail I don't understand at yeah. all. Yeah. I I don't understand. And he will repeat this action several times. Like I understand yeah. changing at the end of it. Mm-hmm. But he totally does makes this sense. like a few times. Yeah. And he leaves the dirty ones there. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. It does. So Not to spoil this, but yeah. No, it's okay. <laughs> so this is also where things, you know, you've got from like a narrative perspective, you've got kind of two different scenes going on. Like every time that he goes to the bathroom to wash up, he leaves the other women an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but also time to kind of ratchet up that terror as well. Um, so while he was in the bathroom, the remaining women tried to squeeze themselves like underneath the bunk beds. And the way that like I make this kind of visually make sense for myself is to picture these beds were like, like it was eight women sharing a small townhouse. It was a lot of bunk beds and like kind of metal cots and stuff like that. So it's not exactly like, like I can crawl under my bed easily and there's room for like four or five of me under there. But, um, but that's not, these are not like bed beds. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine like the physical struggle of trying to crawl under a bed that is like so low to the ground while you're also bound. It's also like a twin size. Yeah. They're tiny. And doing that while trying to like suss out how close or far away your attacker is. God. Yeah, like I just admire the courage on these women to kind of make that attempt. So Cora, the one who answered the door, uh, she was really, really tiny and she was able to get herself like wedged almost completely underneath the bed. Mm -hmm. But she couldn't get her head all the way under. And that like it seems like there were kind of like various like levels to which you could get under the beds, just kind of depending on your size, you know? Okay. So Speck came back and he found Nina and he untied her feet and led her into the back bedroom where he stabbed her in the neck before suffocating her with a pillow. Oh, Jesus. Yes. He then followed that up with a trip to the bathroom. So again, like they, you know, they hear the attack happen. They hear him go and wash his hands. And then he follows the same pattern. Mm -hmm. He came next for Valentina who was so petite that he didn't even bother to untie her. He just flung her over his shoulder. Jesus. Yeah. She was stabbed to death. And again, he went to clean off before coming for his next victim. He then came after Merlita. And uh, this moment just hurts my heart. She was heard saying it hurts in her native Tagalog before the room went silent again. Mm. Yeah. Um, So four of the women were Filipina. They had come to study nursing and kind of found some community, you know, here with with these friends. And I should say there is a really wonderful, fitting tribute to these women that I will post in our um, social media post about this case from the Chicago Tribune that just gives like these really beautiful uh, remembrances of each of them. And I really, really recommend that read. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I know. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. So he then came for Pat Matusik, and he also approaches this a little bit differently. So this is where we get some hints about what what maybe led us here a little bit. So all of these women, he has just stabbed them. Did he sexually assault or otherwise assault any of them? Only one woman will be verifiably raped in the course of this. Okay. And so what's also is interesting about it is that he came to the door with a gun, but didn't shoot any of them. Yeah. I assume because of the noise, but each woman died 
either of stabbing, asphyxiation, or strangulation. But he didn't always do the same thing. Yeah, well, and all of those are much more intimate ways to kill people Mm -hmm. than with a gun. Yeah, it's very, very, very intimate. And and Pat Matusik is what makes me question, like, just, just kind of what some of the... I don't know, like, how random was this? So mm-hmm. he asked her, are you the girl in the yellow dress? What? Yes. Now that can mean a couple of different things. And we don't know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. One thing it can mean is that he was watching them for some yeah. degree of time. Pat Matusik was a little bit different from the other women, uh, just physically, like how she looked. She was taller and kind of an athletic build while the other women were like extremely petite. Mm-hmm. So it made me wonder if he was watching them and she was somebody that stood out to him. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is like maybe he saw a picture of her somewhere in the apartment wearing a yellow dress, but it didn't seem to me like that was particularly possible. Like there wasn't a lot in the townhouse. Mm-hmm. So to me, that signifies that he was watching for some degree of time or at least had observed, you know, he had seen her in the yellow dress at some yeah. point. Saw her at a bar, saw her around the neighborhood, like who knows. I feel like if there was a picture in the house of her in a yellow dress, first of all, at 66, there wouldn't have been that many color photographs. Yeah. But that would be known. I feel like we would know that. Exactly. I think so too. So that detail gives me a raised eyebrow for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So then the other thing that gives me a raised eyebrow is that where she ended up and the degree of her injury was different. So... Instead of taking her to that back bedroom like he had the other women, he actually took her to the bathroom. Hmm. And he delivered a punch to her stomach that was so hard that it ruptured her liver. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think that he took her to the bathroom. This is just my theory. Again, because she potentially could have had enough size and strength behind her that given some space and a head start, she could have gotten past him. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if he took her to that smaller space of the bathroom to kind of get her in a corner to make that harder. Okay. Yeah, because if she was like kind of a more sizable woman, Mm -hmm. like a more athletic build woman, yeah, he might be harder to control. Yeah. So I think he took her to a space that, you know, that she wouldn't be able to have the physical freedom in quite as much. Okay. That's my theory. Um, And then he strangled her there in the bathroom. Jesus. And again, washed up. And then after Pat, the methodology changes again. So he comes back to the room where all the women are tied up. uh, And this time he approaches Gloria, who is the one that had come home from her date. Mm -hmm. Now, at this time, Cora was kind of underneath Gloria's bed with a little bit of her head poking out. Mm -hmm. But so Gloria was on the bed um, and... Speck raped her on the bed. The only known rape to take place that night. Okay. Right above Cora's head, which is heartbreaking. Jesus, I know. Um, and it is the only known rape that night. So he assaulted her and then took her to the back bedroom where he killed her. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's slowing down a little bit or he's seeing kind of the 
end of the night. I don't know. He's experimenting a little bit. He's like, what can I do? What can I get away with? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, it seemed like there was at the beginning, there was just volume. Like there were so many people. Mm -hmm. And now that there are fewer, he can kind of maybe do a little bit more of what he kind of came to do in the first place. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I guess like maybe now that he's taking care of more Mm-hmm. of them i don't uh, oof, i don't know i hate to think about it that way yeah but. me too i just like it just seemed like in the beginning it was really systematic and then suddenly it becomes like each one is treated a little bit differently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so this moment is also a really crucial moment so as speck was in the back room with gloria that only left cora in the room so Cora saw an opportunity at this time. So there was obviously some risk that now that this was an empty room, that he would be able to see the little bit of her head that was peeking out from under the bed. Mm-hmm. So she took the risk of scooting like while bound from under the bed that she was under to another bed that had a bed skirt. Oh, smart. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that that way she wouldn't be seen. So mm-hmm. she struggled to get under it, um, but was eventually able to get pretty much entirely underneath it. So when Speck came back in, he saw an empty room. And he left. He didn't count. All right. I love it. I love that he didn't count. He didn't count. And then that's one of the things you read when you read about this story is like, how the heck could he have lost track? And it's like, well, that was nine people that are strangers to you. Yeah, and it's not like they were all there at once. Like, they kept coming in. Mm-hmm. Also, and ugh, I mean, I'm sure at some point he his adrenaline had to be up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. He doesn't. It sounds like he went in organized, but then he lost that organization somewhere along the way. Yeah, like something else. It started to unravel a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's it. Like, the best guess for why he left like relatively quickly is just that he hadn't counted in the first place. Mm-hmm. Now having killed eight, he didn't know there was a ninth under the bed who heard everything. So Cora, girl. I Love know Cora is amazing. She waited and waited and waited under that bed until she mm-hmm. was sure the coast was clear. And she waited well into the morning. Oh my God. It had to be the most terrifying night. Yeah, just the worst night you could possibly imagine. Finally, like sometime in the, you know, morning hours, she crawled out um, and managed to, while still bound, open a window and climb out onto the ledge and start to call for help. So another student named Judy Dickton was uh, kind of across the way. Like if you can picture a row of townhouses, Judy was in like another building kind of in the same little complex. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was studying for a neurology exam the next day. um, And she heard a sound that she mistook for an animal. (laughs) Yeah. And it was bothering her. So she finally opened her window uh, and was able to see and hear Cora clearly. And Cora was just crying out. They're all dead. They're all dead. They're all dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Judy went over to you know, their building. And, um, when she walked in, she found Gloria's body right away. That was, um, the one that was closest to the entry. Mm -hmm. So, uh, at that time she ran out, found their house mother. Like if you think of like an RA, (laughs) 
Uh, meanwhile, Cora was like unwilling and unable to go out back through the townhouse for yeah. obvious reasons. She has to be frozen in fear. Yeah. So she actually jumped from the ledge to the ground. There's about 10 feet um, to, so that she wouldn't have to go back out through the townhouse. Yeah, yeah. So she kind of went to the front of the townhouse and um, these are all nursing students. And at the, you know, this time nursing was like definitely like very much a women only field. So mm -hmm. um, she basically went to like the front of the townhouse to warn the other women, like, don't go in. He might still be in there. Don't go in. Yeah. Um, uh, another student went in with the house mother and together they found each body. Had the police been called at that point? Not yet. They still no. Jesus. Okay. But these are nurses, and I think you can just kind of see them, like, snap into, like, who can I find, who can I help, mm -hmm. who can I save mode. Yep, you know? yep, yep. Um, and that's kind of how I pictured it going down. But the heartbreaking part of this is, like, this is, like, you know, women living in a dorm, essentially. Like, mm -hmm. they all know each other. They're all connected. They're all classmates. They're all, you know, even if you don't know each other personally, you know each other, like, you know, visually. Yeah. So, <clears throat> So you asked about police. This is where a police officer shows up. So uh, Officer Daniel Kelly was out on patrol. Um, and he was actually, like, flagged down, like, physically. Like, hey, <laughs> come here. Um, oh, God. Yeah. So he was flagged down first. Um, and he went in and cleared the house. But he was also, like, to, you know, make sure he's got his gun out. He makes sure that um, Speck is no longer there. I like how he did that. <laughs> <laughs> you know he cleared it boom boom so um he went in and but like he was really young and he was a rookie he'd only been on the job for uh, like 18 months at this point and he actually knew gloria because he had dated her sister um, oh no so he was not particularly composed and it's possible that there's a degree of kind of time lost here mm -hmm. because he like just kind of couldn't get it together. Like he was, this is the worst thing he'd ever seen, you know? I imagine a little like baby faced rookie. Yeah. Just like walking into this scene and I wouldn't, how do you prepare yourself for that? Yeah, exactly. And so like he got on his radio and he's like, just like screaming, they're all dead. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. They're all dead. And the dispatcher is like, where are you? And he's like, oh my God, they're all dead. They're all dead. And, like, they go back and forth like that for kind of a while before mm -hmm. he's able to get the address out. So, um, simultaneously, a uh, police reporter was listening to the scanner at this same time and also kind of arrived at the scene. Kind of all these people then start to kind of descend upon the scene, this reporter and then, you know, all these police officers and everybody is kind of making fun of Daniel Kelly. Like, he was outside, he was vomiting, like, he was just, like, really having a hard time. And then mm. as other officers went in, they came out vomiting as well. well yeah, I was going to say, I can't blame the poor guy. Jesus. No, yeah. And like there was one of the guy that like he was quoted to say, what, have you ever seen a dead body before? And he came back out vomiting as well. So don't make fun of people <sighs> for adequately reacting to a situation. I can only imagine what that scene had to look like. Jesus. Yeah, absolutely horrific. Oh, absolutely horrific i mean there was so much blood that the carpet like was sloshing like i read some accounts about that and it was just really really horrible oh yeah oh really that's awful yeah really really awful 
Okay, great. Yeah, really terrible. So this is the scene that these officers are walking into. Uh, And there's a billion police officers involved here. Two of the primary ones right away were Jack Walenda, who, yes, is related to the Flying Walendas. What? What? The Flying Walendas? Yeah, they were like the famous trapeze artist family. I got nothing. Oh, okay. Well, for our more learned audience members out there. Oh, thank you. You're so welcome. I, I, I'm not cultured on my flying <laughs> artist I family. Guess not. I guess not. <laughs> That's like everything I read was like, yes, those Walendas. Like the articles were like tired of being asked about it. I was like, dang. <laughs> the only trapeze family I know is the Flying Graysons, but okay. What's a Flying Grayson? Dick Grayson. Oh. Robin, Batman and Robin. Dang, okay, this is just... Yeah. An- <laughs> We're at an impasse here. Any hoozles. Anyway. So we got Jack Willanda, we got J- Frank Flanagan. Uh, they were like two kind of key people on the scene. So Willanda was the first detective to arrive, and it was kind of like his case. And then Flanagan oversaw um, the entire homicide faction in the city at that time. And Flanagan was really careful to tell the reporter that had, you know, intercepted the radio call just like begged him to please, please, please not release anything more than the women were stabbed so that they could, yeah, like preserve some of the details basically. Mm -hmm. So Cora was able to provide a decent description of the guy. Um, And I just love like, man, nurses are the best (laughs) because she's got his physical description just like, like on lock, you know? Fuck yes. We love nurses. We do. So she described him as six feet tall, blonde hair, 160 pounds with a Southern accent, mm-hmm. which is unusual in Chicago. Um, yep. She was also able to describe a tattoo on his arm that read born to raise hell. I'm sorry. I'm rolling my eyes so fucking hard. I know. Me too. So ridiculous. <sighs> Try hard. Anyway. Exactly. Like, what do you got to prove, buddy? Mm-hmm. So I hate this guy so much. I know. Yeah. So I think what's interesting about Chicago and the 60s and big cities in general is that even though they're massive cities, neighborhoods feel like neighborhoods. We talked about that a lot with um, the, you know, is there an active serial killer in Chicago episode? Mm -hmm. So, you know, despite this being, you know, a massive city, neighborhoods are tight knit. So um, this other officer, Edward... Oh, gosh, your last name is pretty Polish. You want to type it out to me? Wilizinski. Edward Wilizinski. All right, I'll take it. Thank you. (laughs) Um, He went to one of the local gas stations that was kind of known to be frequented by some shady characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he went to that gas station and asked if anyone there had seen anyone matching the description. Uh, that Cora had furnished, and the attendant hadn't. But he said, the only thing that's been weird lately is that uh, my manager was asked to hold some bags for a guy that had missed his ship and was stuck in town for a few days. Missed his ship? Yes. So Officer Edward is like, missed his ship? I wonder if he's got anything to do with the merchant marines down the street. Ooh, okay. Yep. Mm. So... He heads down to the Merchant Marine Union Hall, which is also on 100th Street, uh, the same as the townhouses, mm-hmm. uh, because ships and 
the uh the guy like working the desk that day didn't recognize the story uh so he kind of was like yeah i don't recognize that but undeterred uh the officers went back to the gas station had the attendant call his manager who came down and said yeah you know this guy was like really really mad he had missed his ship uh he needed us to hold his bags he was tall slim and blonde with a southern accent Mm -hmm. so the officers are like ding 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 okay cool a southern accent is going to stand out in chicago exactly so they go back to the merchant marine hall and start to kind of like jog the memory of the guy working the desk and he says Mm -hmm. oh yeah I do remember that guy. He was really mad and he dug an assignment sheet out of the trash and the name on it was Richard Speck. Ha ha. Ha ha. So they are able to kind of suss out that Richard Speck had been staying at the Merchant Marine Hall. Um, And so, you know, he matched the description. He matched Cora's description. He matches the gas station guy's description. uh, And that's, you know, that's enough for uh, a major eyebrow to be raised you know, with Mm -hmm. regards to Richard Speck. So Speck, meanwhile, kind of after the events of that night, kind of went about his usual business, which was basically hanging out in gross dive bars and like striking up chit chats with random people that he met while wandering around. That's why I don't talk to strangers at bars. There you go. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you never know when it's going to be Richard Speck. So, um, So he actually, I thought this was really interesting because it kind of connects with something else we've been talking about, um, that he hung out a lot at Cabrini Green, uh, the building projects. So kind of while he was hanging out at Cabrini Green, he met uh, these two guys, Claude One-Eye Lunsford and Shorty Ingram. Shorty Ingram. God, that's a good name. I know, right? And so One-Eye and Shorty were... um, I love this so much. I know. They, and I don't mean this term pejoratively, I mean it in the true sense of of the occupation. They were hobos. They hopped trains to travel. I love one Eye and Shorty. I know, right? Can we get a cartoon about them? We totally should. That's our new side project. Okay. <laughs> I finished my program. I need a new side project. <laughs> a side side project. Don't be me. I know. I do draw really good comics, though. So, um, so one eye and shorty, they, um, they were just fascinating people to spec. He, um, just like really enjoyed spending some time chatting with them and drinking. And that's kind of the thing about spec. He couldn't resist a drink, uh, or Mm -hmm. a willing ear. Um, so he was just like really fascinated by these two men and their stories of hopping trains. Um, one eye had come from Texas, which was also where spec uh, had kind of spent a lot of his childhood, so they felt, you know, kind of some camaraderie there. Mm-hmm. So um, he kind of struck up that friendship while police were kind of canvassing the area. Um, so the police definitely spread news of Speck being a wanted man. Once they got that name and that description, uh, they were able to get a an old mugshot. He had had a previous record, um, mm-hmm. and they were able to put that mugshot in the paper. So, yeah. yeah, he's on the front page of the paper. His name is on the radio. He's everywhere. So, um, one eye saw the newspaper with Richard's face and tattoo, like a description of his tattoo on it, uh, and read the article and is like, oh, shit. 
Um, <laughs> I know that guy. And so he makes a then anonymous call to the police. Yes. Tipping them off to Richard Speck's whereabouts, which were at the Star Motel. And one I knew that because he had actually recommended the Star Motel to Speck because that was also where he was staying. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a, a motel that people kind of semi-lived at, you know. Um, yeah. However, thinking this was one of many prank calls that the police had had about the topic, they did not actually dispatch anybody to the star. So you're like, yes. The answer is no. Killing me, Flanagan. I know, right? Meanwhile, meanwhile, meanwhile. <laughs> at some point during this kind of span of time, um, which is just a couple of days, Speck mm-hmm. knew that he was wanted. He was actually at a bar when he heard a radio announcement about himself. And that was when he, in a panic, retreated to the Star Motel. Mm-hmm. While at the Star Motel, he drank very heavily, broke a bottle, and used it to slit his own wrists oh, in an attempt to take his own life. Didn't he later deny that that was an attempt on his own life? Yes, he did. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, like, nobody believes him, you know? Nobody believes And here's the other reason nobody believes him. Because he got scared. And he mm-hmm. called for help. And he was taken to the hospital by first responders who did not know that he was Richard Speck. Uh, yeah. 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 So he was taken to the ER at Cook County Hospital, where he was kind of immediately seen by a first-year medical student named Leroy Smith. Mm-hmm. So Leroy Smith got a look at this guy and was like, ugh. He looks familiar mm-hmm. and kind of had this weird hunch. So Leroy Smith doesn't want to leave this guy's side and he doesn't want to leave him with the nurse who's helping him either because he thinks he's got a suspicion. So he doesn't Le- know what yet, but he's like, mm. Exactly. So Leroy Smith literally collects his own saliva and cleans off Richard Speck's arm to reveal the born to raise hell tattoo. <laughs> Yeah, not sanitary, but so not sanitary, but okay. You do what you got to do. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was in the moment for sure. So uh, he revealed that infamous tattoo while Speck was begging for water. Mm -hmm. And Leroy Smith goes, Did you give the nurses any water? I love this guy so much. I know, me too. I love everybody in this story except Speck. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's also really cool how it's like, it's kind of like the little guys in a way that kind of close this whole thing down. Like this first mm-hmm. year medical student, he goes and he finds like the rent-a-cop that guards the hospital. And that guy's like, wait, what? Wait, what? We have a, like a what? Uh, the, 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 yeah. And, and so then they like... They get the, you know, the, the police police there and mm-hmm. everything just kind of goes from like normal night at the ER to we have a mass murder in our midst. It's never a normal night at the Cook County ER. I cannot imagine that it is. <laughs> I cannot imagine that it is. So um, Richard Speck's case in court was pretty uncomplicated. On June 5th of 1967, he was sentenced to death. Now, his death sentence would be overturned later because upon appeal, it was discovered that the prosecution team basically illegally filtered out potential jurors who were against the death penalty. Oh, uh, yeah, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, no, you can't do that. So that's unconstitutional. Uh, well, Illinois doesn't have the death penalty anymore anyway. So, right. so it would have changed anyway, but 
Um, but he was resentenced later to um, eight consecutive sentences of 50 to 150 years, which, ah. yeah, which comes out to 400 to 1200 years. And that was that sentence. He was resentenced in 72. In 73, there was a new statutory maximum of 300 years. So he was then <laughs> sentenced to 300 years instead. It's really winning. Yeah. Really so, <laughs> like it really matters. <laughs> so he was sent to the Stateville Correctional Center, which is a really, really scary place. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit later. It's really scary. I think it's shut down now, isn't it? Yes. Statesville? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was definitely just like bad news bears. Mm-hmm. Bad, it's bad, bad news bears. News. We should go visit it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go to visit it. We have to plan our next trip. That's what I'm saying. So uh, this is the point at which we kind of pivot a bit to any degree of why, <laughs> <laughs> which, as we know, is your favorite question and a question that I love to never answer for you. You never, ever, ever do. And that is not because of insufficiency on my no. part, I hope. No, it is not. You just pick cases with interesting perpetrators yes and he is one of them and he mm-hmm. is somebody who obviously people thought was horrible and fascinating mm-hmm. so uh, richard speck also has a very distinctive physical appearance like i said he's got those tattoos and everything and that's obviously you know something that is done by choice but he also had like extreme acne scarring mm-hmm. so a lot of like pockmarks on his face a very distinctive look so And a very asymmetrical face. Yeah. And just like an interesting, he's just an interesting looking person. Extremely unique. It's so Mm -hmm. funny because we have so many of these cases where like we look at the mugshots and it's like, oh my gosh, he looks like every guy ever. Yes. Richard Speck is not that. He looks extremely distinctive. Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings us into the first of a few Y avenues that we can begin to trace. Why avenues? Why, why? Why? Why avenues? Guys, that'll make sense here in a minute, and you're going to think I'm hilarious. I know. <laughs> I know. You are hilarious. We are hilarious. So, um, so this attack happened in 66, summer of 66. Mm-hmm. In uh, 1965 and 1966, two preliminary reports by a British cytogenicist named Patricia Jacobs and her colleagues uh, was published in Nature Magazine and The Lancet. Big names. Yes, very big names. Uh, this report was of a chromosome survey out of Scotland at a hospital for the developmentally disabled. And they found the basic kind of Cliff's Notes version of their finding was that in nine patients averaging about six feet in height had what they called the 47XYY karyotype, which they had found to be correlated to aggressive and violent criminal activity. Mm -hmm. So based on that, a Swiss endocrinologist and geneticist named Eric Engel, who was working at Vanderbilt at the time, uh, wrote to Richard Speck's attorney and was like, you should try an insanity defense because Mm -hmm. he may have that karyotyping. And so... They did the chromosomal analysis and found that Speck did not, in fact, have the XYY, uh, but instead had the 
the standard 46XY. Yeah. Um, Which also, upon later research, they found that XYY is not associated with increased violence and aggression they were at one point i mean the theory proposed from those articles was that xyy karyotype was they were super males Mm -hmm. and that means that they had greater testosterone and this that and the other they don't honestly xyy behaviorally looks like a lot like adhd and what's interesting too is that it's really not that crazy rare it's it's really not that crazy rare and really literally all that re- that Swiss reacher, researcher was going on was he's tall and has a weird face. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Six foot one also not that tall. Right. But, you know, it is the 60s and people were smaller back in the day. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, this is wait. now like entirely completely debunked. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us probably know somebody with XYY or at least know somebody who knows somebody. It's not that crazy rare. Genetic differences are nowhere near as rare as people think they are. Mm-mm. Yeah, Especially exactly. in sex chromosomes. Those are like the first to get wonked. Exactly. Uh, and often to an effect that you'll never even know unless you never have this know. type of genetic testing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to verify it. However, Time Magazine caught on to it before it could be debunked. And correlated Richard Speck with the super male XYY chromosomal issue, which mm-hmm. basically has um, kind of followed his sort of mythology this entire mm-hmm. time. Like people still point to him having XYY as being why he did what he did. Yeah. Um, you can even still find like textbooks uh, that mention Richard Speck as an example of XYY. I'm pretty sure I have a textbook, not here anymore, but in a box somewhere that talks about him having X, Y, Y. Yeah. And I'm like, nope, sorry, guys. So that is not a Y, Y that passes. (laughs) 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 So that Y, Y is no good. Mm -hmm. So then what's our next Y, Y question? What Mm -hmm. can we find buried in his childhood or his past? This, I do think, is pretty interesting and compelling. So, mm-hmm. little Richard Speck was born in Kirkwood, Illinois. He was the seventh of eight children, so big family. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in Kirkwood, but they moved to Monmouth, Illinois, uh, fairly shortly after his birth, which, again, is just kind of another small town mm-hmm. in the um, kind of far western portion of the state. And he was – he experienced, like, a pretty – intense degree of tragedy at a young age um so speck and his younger sister carolyn they were both like a lot younger than the other siblings Mm -hmm. so when speck was just a little kid his oldest brother died in a car accident and then his father died uh from a heart attack when richard was six so that kind of left the family obviously in a serious state of grief yeah so Richard's mom, uh, her name was Mary. She was very, very religious and a total teetotaler, (laughs) which is interesting when you look at Richard Speck's lifetime of literal alcohol abuse, but literal alcohol abuse. Yeah, so much. So she she remarried like pretty soon after to this guy, Carl August Rudolf Lindberg. Oh, I love that name. Oh, but he's a real crap of person. So, God damn it. Yeah. He doesn't deserve that name. 
He doesn't because it's a great name. He was a serious alcoholic. He had a 25-year criminal record, um, mostly like white-collar type stuff, like forgery, um, but also Mm -hmm. some drunk driving. He was nebulously employed. (laughs) Favorite time, kind of employed. Yeah, right? Like, meep. So he kind of really represented a figure that was like very oppositional to Speck's father, his biological father that he really idolized, who was like a very hardworking, kind of shared his Mm -hmm. mom's like teetotaler values. Mm -hmm. So Carl Lindbergh basically moved the family to Texas, which is how Richard Speck came into that southern drawl that became such his like trademark, you know? Yeah. So yeah, he had a really hard time thereafter basically so Mm -hmm. speck was pretty close to his one older like way older sister her name was sarah um and she stayed in monmouth so speck and carolyn that other sister were kind of allowed to stay with um sarah for a bit before joining the whole family in texas so Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of like fisher in this kid's life just transitions and loss and a lot of transition and a lot mm-hmm. of loss. His stepfather was a raging drunk. Um, uh, when he was around, he was abusive um, and he often was not around. So as a result, Speck was just obviously had a lot of difficulty. He was not mm-hmm. a good student. He repeated a couple of grades. He just had a lot of struggles in school and he eventually um, dropped out of high school. He also started drinking at the age of 12. Jesus. Yes. And by 15, he was a daily drinker. So he also had his first arrest at the age of 13 for trespassing. And then he kind of racked up a bunch of like little misdemeanors, Mm -hmm. you know, from there on out. So everything along the way, just building and building and increasing. Exactly. Exactly. So um, when he was, ugh, this is so gross. So when he was 20, he met a 15-year-old girl and got her pregnant. I hate him. I mean, I hate him more, I guess. He's so terrible. So uh, he eventually would marry this woman and their marriage disintegrated basically right away so Mm -hmm. uh, he does have a daughter but their entire family has basically just completely like disowned him so i'm not gonna drop her name no yeah yeah she doesn't deserve that no but um basically like he would then spend the next um up until the time of the attack on the student nurses just racking up like Crime after crime after crime from uh, lots of robberies, assaults, um, kind of simple assaults. Nothing that kind of got him like a lot of jail time, but like mm-hmm. in and out of jail, failure to like pay on his fines and things like that. So he was just like in and out of police custody all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that was still back in Texas. So earlier in 1966, before the attack on the nurses, He essentially, like, fled Texas and uh, took a bus to Chicago, where um, he kind of worked on and off through the Merchant Marines, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as kind of, like, doing, like, hired labor, basically. Well, I'm going to kind of breeze through this next little bit, but to kind of get to our next why. So uh, while he was in 
Monmouth again, staying with his sister. He entered the house of 65-year-old Mrs. Virgil Harris at 1 o'clock in the morning. He entered her home, blindfolded her, uh, raped her, and um, turned over her house and Mm -hmm. stole $2.50 from her. About a week later, a woman named Mary Catherine Pierce was found dead at an empty hog house behind the tavern that she worked at. Um, And she had died from a blow to her stomach that ruptured her liver. Oh, hey. Mm -hmm. I know somebody that can do that. Exactly. So officially he was tied to the attack on Mrs. Harris, but he was not ever charged with um, the murder of of Mary Pierce, but it is Mm -hmm. extremely likely that he did that. He was a frequent customer at that bar. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that's the case, then he goes from a mass murderer to a serial killer. Yeah. So there's that. When they found, basically when they like raided his motel room, they did end up finding some of Mrs. Harris's stuff in his hotel room. So obviously he did that. (laughs) So obviously. Obviously. (laughs) So... And that's our other why. You look at a background like that, early loss, the unhealed trauma, the mm-hmm. the abusive step parent, all of these things, you know, kind of craft a little monster. But I feel like there's still like something is brewing in there because he had seven siblings who didn't do this. Exactly. Yeah. Now he and Carolyn were the younger ones that were gonna be the most like victim to the stepfather the other ones were yeah. much older um, yeah. but carolyn's fine i mean she has like disowned him entirely told her kids like you are not allowed to say that that's your uncle we yeah. don't oh yeah and we don't associate with him this is not part of our family so mm-hmm. you know the other siblings turned out okay yeah so it doesn't feel like a great why but it tells us something about where he's coming from. Yeah, it tells us, okay, there's something brewing in the background, and exactly. he's got a real low threshold for turning that point. Exactly. So here's a third potential why. In the spring-ish of 1966, he, uh, like I said, he was working with the Merchant Marines, and he joined the crew of a ship, uh, which was a lake freighter, which, you know, I love me a lake freighter. <laughs> with boats boat nerd it's true it's true yeah so i was like what so he worked this boat called the clarence b randall and uh this was in uh, a lake freighter so it's all around the great lakes Mm -hmm. while he was on the boat he got appendicitis and so he had to be evacuated by helicopter to a hospital in hancock michigan which is in the Keweenaw Peninsula of Michigan's UP, where we were just a couple weeks ago. Yay! So while he was there, he had an emergency appendectomy. And then when he was recuperating, he was in the care of this nurse's assistant named Judy Lakanami. And he kind of fell in love with her. Okay. And, you know, she would take care of him and do all of his, like, baths and mealtimes and all this kind of stuff while he was recovering and just took care of him. And he would be like, how can I ever repay you? Like, let me take care of you. You know, when I get out of here, like, what can I do? You're my girl. You're my girl. (laughs) 
and she's, and she's like, like no honey i'm a nurse exactly she's like no i'm just doing my job just doing my job and he's like no no you gotta give me something to remember you by she's like ugh here's a picture just go away mm-hmm. and she gave him this picture of herself and he like carried that with him but she kind of obviously like rejected his advances so when he got out and he was fine he would kind of stay a little bit obsessed with her and Mm -hmm. like gave her money and was like you're my girl you're my girl and she's like no seriously i'm not like i'm really (laughs) really really not i'm really i promise you not your girl so basically like she at one point uh right at the end of june that year so the attacks on the nurses were uh mid-july on june 27th judy gave him 80 bucks to basically go away and he left oh and went back to chicago mm-hmm. so the other why because the big question is why these nurses so some people will speculate that the rejection from judy uh, basically made him want to get revenge on any nurses that he could find i'm getting like hardcore red pill in cell vibes from this absolutely yeah without a doubt without a doubt so it's like i've got pieces of whys that are unsatisfying entirely but if you put together that childhood and then you add the feel to the fire of that rejection and then Mm -hmm. you add the fact that richard speck is a complete dirt bag maybe 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 it all comes together do we know at all if judy looked like the girl in the yellow dress that's a good question. I could not find a picture of Judy at all. Okay. Girl, um, keep your privacy. Exactly. Like, I had that question, too, but I couldn't find it. She was older than any of the women in the house, mm-hmm. though. She was 28, um, and she was going through a divorce mm-hmm. while these women in the townhouse were generally much younger. I think the oldest yeah. one was, like, 25. Uh, but generally speaking, they were, you know, much, much younger. Like, a definitely yeah. a different demographic you know yeah so so those are the why question mark Mm -hmm. so then i want to kind of close out by talking about richard speck's life in prison all right this is fun this part i don't know so i'm excited to learn about it yeah so richard speck like i said was sent to one of the most notorious prisons in the state of illinois Mm-hmm. So Richard Speck died in 1991 of a massive heart attack and a bunch of other internal issues mm-hmm. uh, the day before his birthday. So, um, uh-huh. haha. Okay, so he was dead in 91. In 1996, a video of Richard Speck in prison was leaked from an anonymous attorney to another attorney and then later leaked to television. And this included a shocking depiction of Speck in the 1980s. The video purportedly comes from about 1988, Mm -hmm. which, fantastic year, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So the content of this video was extremely disturbing. Okay. Okay. Uh, It was a video filmed by the inmates. So everybody in the video was in the video consensually. Richard Speck and... Another inmate were in the video basically making a porn. They were engaging in several sex acts in the video. Then it flips kind of to, and you can't find the whole video, you can just find clips, but 
it flips to then Richard Speck uh, and this inmate and a couple of other guys just doing lines and lines and lines of cocaine in jail. Okay. What the fuck? Yes. Now, as if that wasn't enough, the most surprising aspect of the video was Richard Speck's breasts. Your face. His boobies. His boobies. Mm -hmm. So, in the video, Richard Speck is seen sporting a pair of very, very traditionally feminine breasts. This video would kind of come to re-bolster that erroneous XYY theory. XXY, that can happen and you can get gynecomastia. Yeah. But because people are like, whoa, boobs on a man. Like, Didn't Albert Fish do that too? He may have. I really prefer not to read about Albert Fish. Okay. He's one of the ones that like, I got to draw a hard line there. Fair. Yeah. You know? But so in the video he has, and this is not like your like average chubby guy, like little taters. This is breasts. Mm -hmm. So um, again, this kind of, some people would look at this to kind of like further bolster that like erroneous theory about XYY because they don't understand genetics, but whatever. Why would having an extra Y chromosome give you breasts? It doesn't, but people are stupid. Oh, I hate people, but I want to know where he got the breasts. Where did he get the boobies? So here's where he probably actually got the boobies. This is not verified, but it is reported by people close to spec that while he was in prison, he was able to receive hormone treatment to kind of transition from male to female to some degree. Now, whether or not Richard Speck um, was transgender, we don't Mm -hmm. particularly know. And I want to be careful about what I say about these sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those that speak about this, that knew Speck, said that he had hormones smuggled in to help him develop breasts basically as a survival technique in the prison, such that if he were to develop breasts and be willing to trade sex for things like drugs and safety within Mm -hmm. the prisons, that this was kind of key to his survival at Statesville. So he would have um, hormones kind of smuggled in for him, and he would also have like uh, women's underwear um, and stuff like that smuggled in for him, basically to appeal to the sexuality of the other inmates to ensure his own protection. Fascinating. Isn't it? Huh. Yeah. So in the videos, he is also, um, he's quoted to say at one point in the video that if the public had any idea how much fun he was having in prison, they would just want to let him loose because nothing could be more fun than that. He basically was completely unafraid of any consequences for when he was in jail Because he's literally like, I'm here for 1,200 years. What are they going to do? And so he did whatever the hell he wanted in that jail. I hate him. God, I hate this asshole. He was also asked about what he felt about the crime that he committed against those women. And he would say, well, it just wasn't their night. There are other snippets of reports with him where he will say, like, I wish I hadn't done it. I wish I had just stopped at a robbery, but mm-hmm. that's as far as he'll get down the road of remorse. 
Like, that's as far as we'll get. Mm. Yeah. So, that is Richard Speck. I hate him. I fucking hate him so much. Yeah. Was he violent in prison? Like, did he get into fights or did he ever, like, hurt anybody else? Or He got into some altercations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And he got, like, you know, the types of punishments you get in prison for those types of altercations. Like, a little bit of isolation. But the thing with Richard Speck in prison is that he never... It seemed like he always knew how to toe the line to not get himself punished like too badly Mm -hmm, and he mm -hmm. also like he really stayed on people's good sides within the prison god what a sociopath yes total sociopath total sociopath i can't believe you didn't know about his boobs i didn't know about his boobs now i want to know so much more about his boobs yeah and i'm also looking up albert fish because i want to know like if i actually if I'm mixing him up with somebody else. Mm. Just searching up Albert Fish's boobs, you know. Mm. Did you see <laughs> did you see Richard Specks? Oh wow. He does have some knockers. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're legit. They're legit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The hell? Yeah. Yeah, he I totally don't. like aged like a grandma. He really did. I don't know that I'll put his boobies up on the social media, but people can certainly seek those out if they're so inclined. I How did I not know any of this? I just think it's super interesting that he was able to, like, I just wonder. I, it really makes me wonder, like, did he, was he really, like, you know, going through a transition? Or, like, to mm-hmm. what degree was it truly... You know, something that he kind of crafted out of survival. Yeah. And like how much, I don't know. Yeah. That's, ah, you won't, you you always stop leaving me with more questions. (laughs) Sorry. It's what I do best. I hate it. Oh, I have so much questions. I'm going to fucking. Good. I'm glad. And I hope. (laughs) So, yeah, that's my story this week. Hope you were intrigued. I'm not gonna say I hope you enjoyed it, but I hope you were intrigued. I am intrigued. Um I am intrigued by why people still believe the XYY theory. Mm. I'm intrigued about the hormone treatments. Yeah. Cause I think like prison survival is a legit reason to do some things. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty extreme one. It is and it isn't though, because like mm-hmm. really I guess what's the harm? And I guess, like again, like if he's consenting, then yeah, yeah, hurting yourself. Uh, all right, friends, let us know what you think. Yeah, this please be, tell us. We'll be interested to hear feedback on on this one for sure. So, uh, tell us about next week. Um, we're there is no transition. <laughs> I know. Next I was week. like, um. <laughs> Tell us about, just, just, just go there. We don't always need a transition. We're a postman uh, around here. Uh, I hate it. Uh, fine, I'll do it. Next week we are going all the way out to back to Minnesota. We're going back to St. Paul. Oh, very good. I like St. Paul. Yay. 
Yeah, we're going to uh, visit the Hmong community out in St. Paul. That's right. And we're going to talk about another mystery. It's it's a bit of a semi-mystery. Okay. The unsolved disappearance of Hang Lee. Okay. This, oh man. That's interesting. It's a really interesting case. Um, And I think some of the updates that have happened over the last year, I'm hoping kind of getting them out there will be able to kind of bring in maybe some tips about it. So Yeah. Oh, I sure hope so. I really hope mm-hmm. so. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. So yeah. I'm excited. Wonderful. <sighs> ah, well, people, um, like I said before, there is a wonderful Chicago Tribune article that pays a beautiful tribute to the eight women that were victims of Richard Spack. So I really, really, really encourage reading that article. Um, Mm -hmm. and creating some space in your day to think about those wonderful women who all were pursuing, um, you know, a a career in helping other people. So it's really worth taking the time to read about them and and their wonderful selves. So please do that. Definitely. And take a moment to thank all the little people that got this job done and got him in prison. Seriously, for real. So Mm -hmm. on that note, I guess we're kind of ready to say goodbye for the week, aren't we? Uh, I suppose. I mean, I am tired, but... I just really need to go to the bathroom, and I'm, like, trying not to rush in. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to drag this out and fill your bladder. I'm going to give you a UTI. So anyway... Anyway. Come visit us on the socials. That's right. Admin Wretched everywhere. Let us know if you want Tommy to write us a cartoon about One Eye and who's the other guy? Shorty. About One Eye and Shorty because I want to see that. Yeah, I'm, I may do it anyway. But mm. yeah, let us. One Eye and Shorty solving crimes. I love this. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I'm totally- visit us on the socials. Um, We got good stuff going on. We love you. And I think that's it. Yeah. So, you know, be nice. Eat cheese. And know that we love you. you. All right. You can go poop now. Okay. Thank you. I'm not even going to render first. I just like really have to go. I'll be right back. Stinky puppy. Are you a stinky puppy? Yeah, you're a stinky puppy. She's stinky.